All right, if you would, turn to our master text in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm continuing the series that I started on Resurrection Sunday, or what some people refer to as Easter. Oh oh yeah, Mark, thank you. And we're going to go through Romans chapter 7 today, kind of verse by verse, at least part of it. So if you do not have a Bible, you're going to need one, because we're going to read that together. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Does everybody have your own Bible? Okay, so here's one over here, and one all the way across on the other side of the room. Yeah, we'll let you borrow one of ours. No problem. So, um, you, actually, you might put your finger in two places. Hebrews chapter 12 will be our master text, but then we're going to be reading a lot out of Romans chapter 7 as well. So, let's go ahead and stand up when you find Hebrews chapter 12, and let's honor the reading of God's word. We'd like to show God's word great honor around here. And it's only two verses this time. Okay, here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's go ahead and read verse 3 as well. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Oh, why don't we just go ahead and go for it and read verse 4 too. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. All right, well, I want to begin with just a a short little true story here as we embark upon this teaching. I heard a story, and again, this is a true story, about a, a man who had become a terrible alcoholic. And his problem really wreaked havoc on his family. And uh, there was terrible problems in their family for a long time. And then he had an encounter with the Lord and and got things right with the Lord. And uh, he was able to put away his alcohol and uh, be rid of that. And then years went by, the the family situation improved so much. He was uh, serving the Lord and staying away from alcohol. But Then he got a little complacent and let his guard down. And one weekend, somehow, someway, he relapsed. And he went on a drinking binge for the entire weekend that his body wasn't ready for. And it put his body in such a tremendous shock that he had a stroke. And it paralyzed him. And he lost his income. And there were some terrible things that happened to the family as a result of that occurrence, of allowing himself to relapse because his, his guard was down after he had been doing good for a while. And how many of you know that we can be doing good for a while and we let our guard down and we can slip right back into the same things that we got free from before? So that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, if you think you're standing strong, take heed lest you fall. I want to repeat that. If you think you're standing strong, take heed lest you fall. Do you know why? Because there's an enemy 
The Bible says also that the the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I want to tell you something. You're the one he's seeking to to devour. You're in his crosshairs. He's looking for a way to get in and get his foot in the door. He's looking for a chink in your armor. He's looking for a time when you've let your guard down so he can sneak back in and pull you back into things that not only you were involved in before, but pull you into things that you never thought you would do before. Now, as we get rolling here, I think that there's probably a a primary unasked question with a lot of Christians. You know, I don't get asked this question very often, but I find that it's on people's minds and hearts a lot. When you start getting into deeper conversations with people, it does come out from time to time. And there's, there's a primary unasked question that's on the hearts of a lot of people who are serving the Lord, and it's this. How do I walk with the Lord in holiness consistently? Because not a lot of people have figured out how to do that. Not a lot of Western Christians anyway. Not a lot of Western Christians anyway. See, what we tend to do as a culture, as a church culture in the West, is we trifle with sin. We pet it sometimes. We entertain it rather than treating it like the cancer that it is. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we trifle with sin. Sometimes... You know, you look at the edge of the stage, just picture that a cliff. Here's what we do with sin sometimes. We like to sneak up to the edge of the cliff and, and, and get as close as we can to that line without just falling off and toppling headlong into just all-out immorality. But we love, sometimes we love the edge of that cliff. But so often, you know, I don't like heights very much. And sometimes I've been on the tops of... I go to Chicago sometimes or a bigger city where we're, you know, high rise and, and I'll peer over the edge and there's, there's something about peering over the edge that almost feels like some unseen force is pulling me over. And I'm like, ah, 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 no, 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 nope, nope. Uh, you've gone up in the, the Sears Tower and they have that one platform that and I'm like, nope, nope. It, there's, it's just really weird how it seems like there's this unseen force Wanting to, it, that's imaginary on my part, of course, but it just seems like as I peer over the edge, it's like, uh, something's pulling me over. That's the way sin is. You get to the edge of that cliff, there's something that wants to pull you over into all-out immorality, all-out godlessness. And we want to toy with that edge rather than getting as far away from that edge as possible and living as holy and righteously as we can. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. So I want to break down the first two verses in Hebrews chapter 12 for you and just give you a little bit of additional insight on these verses. That cloud of witnesses that it's talking about refers to those saints who have gone on before, those who have died and have gone on to heaven. And, you know, I don't really know the, the theological precision of this verse, but it seems to me that that cloud of witnesses actually has the ability from time to time to peer over the banister of heaven, if you will, and look in on mankind. That's kind of how it appears to me, that there's the ability to, to look in on how we're doing sometime, that cloud of witnesses that has gone on before. You know, there's cheering us on. Come on, you can do it, right? 
Um, and then it goes on to say, throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles. And I picture a bird that's darted into a net that can't get out, who's entangled. So the thing I want to say to you this morning about that part of the, that passage is to deal drastically, deal drastically with those sins that you are most prone to commit. Now, we all have our different areas of weaknesses. You've got yours and I've got mine. You know, you, you fill in the blank there as to what your particular areas of weakness are because those are the ones that you probably need to deal drastically with because that's where Satan knows that your weak spot, your chink in the armor is, and that's where he's going to come after you when your guard is down. Just like that one individual who Satan came after who had a problem with alcohol. And when his guard was down, when he thought he was doing well, he got pulled right back into it, and it was, had a cataclysmic impact on his life. That's Satan's goal in pulling you in to sin, to have a, have a cataclysmic impact on your life eventually. Then it also say, it says to throw off. Now, I wanted to give you the definition from the Greek, uh, or the word from the Greek, and what the... the, the the larger expanded definition of that word that was translated into English as throw off, and it's the Greek word apotithemai, and it means to renounce, to lay aside, to renounce, to lay aside. If I, I was going to bring a prop to, to, to throw something, and I forgot, uh, just something that, here, I'll just use something that won't make a, make a big dent in the wall or something when I toss it, because here's, here, here you know, the, so my Kleenex box here. So this is what renouncing looks like. If you have a visual of renouncing, it would be like this. This is the, the sin that you're renouncing. You're like, you toss it away. You're, you're renouncing it. You're getting rid of it. You don't want anything to do with it anymore. Now, a lot of people, what they want to do, let me get back over here and pick it up again. Here's what, here's what some people want to do. That little, that sin area that God's dealing with. Okay. Here's what they want to do. They, they want to put it right there and then they, they want to like look at it from time to time and like, like, like just touch it and, and toy with it and flirt with it sometimes. No, God says, renounce it! <laughs> renounce it, get rid of it, lay it aside, and don't ever pick it up again. That's what he's leading us to do. Praise God. Now, that word weight in the Greek is the word akos, and it means a bulky encumbrance, a burden, a bulky encumbrance or a burden, something that weighs you down. It keeps you from making progress in your spiritual lives. Okay? So we need to renounce those things, get rid of them, and untangle ourselves from those things. And then I like this verse that it, it, and it starts right here. For the joy set before him, it's talking about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, what's that mean? It means that he had to make a sacrifice on the front end in order to enjoy the benefits on the back end. Did you, did you get that? He had to make a sacrifice, a painful sacrifice on the front end in order to enjoy the benefits on the back end. So for the joy set before him, that means he was looking forward, you see, to what was going to be his on the other side of the cross, the rewards and the benefits that would be his on the other side of the cross, and part of that reward was the salvation of you and me. That's what he was looking forward to. He had you on his mind when he hung upon the cross. 
So for the, that joy that was set before him, he had to go through the agony of the cross, and it was a prolonged, horrific, agonizing process, but he was willing to go through it for the joy that would be set before him on the other side of the cross. That's the same mindset we need to have. Sometimes your flesh is in this, like, I call it a nosedive type of posture where you're like spiraling, spiraling out of control and you're like moving toward that sin because your flesh wants it. Your flesh wants to do it. That outburst of anger or whatever it is that you're, that you're moving toward, well, we need to stop ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit and say, no, you know, you know what? I, I don't want the curse on the other side of that sin. I want the blessing on the other side of the sacrifice. You sacrifice now for the blessing afterward. Praise God. You sacrifice on the front end to, to receive the blessing on the back end. See, the, the world works exactly the opposite. They want you to get it now, anyhow. You know, go for it now. The, the feeling, the thrill, whatever it is, but there's a hook in the bait and there's a curse on the back end of that. Come on, somebody, help me out. Is that, is that right? You, right? Have you experienced that? So he's, God's trying to keep us from stepping on these landmines. But sometimes we have to make a sacrifice in the front end. So here's the key concept for this morning. Walking in holiness is to live a life of faith. Maybe you never thought about it this way before. But to live a life of holiness is to live a life of faith. Because here's why. You must believe that what you're giving up in terms of your sinful indulgences is indeed destructive to you. And that what lies on the other side of obedience is blessing. Okay. Praise God. Somebody got that just now. <laughs> Here we go. Let's say it again. Walking in holiness is to live a life of faith. Because you must believe that what you are giving up in terms of your sinful indulgences or your temptation is indeed destructive to you on the back end, and that what lies on the other side of obedience is blessing. Now, obedience, I'm going to just be honest with you. Obedience isn't always fun on the front end because you're having to say no to your flesh. When somebody insults you, gets in your face, whatever, and you want to give them a piece of your mind and respond back, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 15:1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath. But when your flesh responds, and man, I'm telling you, look, I've walked through this battle with you. If anybody in this room has had a short fuse, it's been me. And so the Lord has had to teach me along these lines. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Okay, and so when, but when your flesh, in the heat of that moment, when, when, when your flesh is, is just so energized to give that person a piece of your mind, you've got to find the strength through the Holy Spirit to stop yourself and go, you know what, wait a minute, for the joy set before me, I'm going to endure this and enjoy the reward on the back end. Anybody with me on that? Okay, hallelujah. Now, the dilemma, however, is the battle that's within each of us. There is a dilemma within us where we have this old sin nature that we're fighting against, and we have this new nature now that wants to please God. 
So that's the, the battle that we're going to talk about in Romans chapter 7. So if your uh, finger is still in Romans chapter 7, uh, let's go ahead and read verses 13 through 25. So a little bit of a length of your reading this time. And it says this. I'm reading out of the uh, 1984 NIV version. You read what from whatever version you have. It all basically says the same thing. Wording may be a little bit different. Here we go. Verse 13. Did that which is good then, it's called talking about the law in context, the Old Testament law, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it, the law, produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Okay, so stop right there. I'm going to kind of teach through this verse by verse. What's that talking about? Talking about the law is like a mirror. When you look into the law of the Lord, you see yourself in truth. You see yourself for how you really are, not how you think you are, because it illuminates God's truth upon the sinful areas of your life, and you see the areas of adjustment that you need to make. That's what it's talking about, that the law is good in that respect. The law cannot save you. The Old Testament law of God cannot save you. It was never intended to save you. It was intended to show us how utterly sinful we are. That we can't possibly appease God through our own behavior modification because we've already smashed God's law into a thousand pieces repeatedly. So there's no way that we can do enough good to outweigh our bad. That's what the law shows us, that we are utterly sinful. That's the purpose of the law, so that we realize the need for a Savior. Are you with me so far? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, key verse right here. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I'm going to elaborate on that in a moment. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Stay tuned. I'll, I'll clear some of this up for you if that's confusing for you. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being... I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he's giving, these, giving us the answer to the question, who will rescue me from this body of death? Jesus has done it, is basically what he's saying there. Okay, so let's break this down, because I, I think there's some great teaching points 
and tools to equip you for this battle in that passage. So first of all, let's look at verse 15 again. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Well, I want you to, uh, this is going to be a great perspective for, for some of you. This is going to be a, a really, really profound perspective for some of you who have never, never thought of this. Write this down. When you become frustrated by your sin, rejoice. Why? Well, you now have a new awareness that you never had before. You know, I, I talk to some people that have been saved for just a short period of time, and they come to me sometimes, and sometimes this happens with people that have been saved a long time. And they, they wonder, am I really saved? Because I'm so frustrated by these sin areas in my life. And I tell them this, okay, look, um, you got saved like six months ago. So, you know, seven months ago, this wouldn't have bothered you. You wouldn't even have thought of this seven months ago. You would have been participating in this and not thinking a thing about it and uh, enjoying yourself. Right? But now you have a new awareness. The fact that this bothers you now is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and that you are saved. Okay? Praise the Lord. So when, when you start getting bothered and frustrated by these sin areas of your life, praise God that you're in the family and he's dealing with you about these various areas of your life that he wants you to get straightened out. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life because he loves you and he's trying to guide you. Hallelujah. So don't let Satan beat you down by saying you're not even saved. Look how warped you are. You're, you're uniquely twisted. Nobody deals with this stuff like you do. That's all a lie. There's, that's all a lie. See, the Bible also tells us that... Uh, that no sin has confronted you except that which is common to man. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There's no sin that's confronted you that is not already common to man. In other words, we all deal with the same kind of stuff in varying degrees. He goes on to say, but God is faithful, and oh, here's a wonderful promise on the back end of that verse, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know what that means? You can never, ever say, I said this in the last teaching, you can never say with any degree of honesty, the devil made me do this. That's not true of you anymore. Now that was true of you before Christ because you were a slave to sin. You were a slave to Satan. But now that you're in Christ, you can't ever say that again because there's a, there's a limit, you know, I... When I'm driving down the road, I get real frustrated at the speed of these semi-trailers, but they have governors on them that keep them at like 70, 72 miles an hour, right? And, and, and God has kind of put a governor on your life. He will not allow any type of sin or temptation to confront you that he knows that you can't handle. What a wonderful promise that is. Praise the Lord. So he put a governor, if you will, on Satan, on temptation, on demons. It's like, you can come this far, but you can't go any further than that. Praise God. So, as I've said before, if it's in the ring with you, you can take it. The only reason you ever get taken down by sin is because you wanted to. Hello, you awake this morning? 
The only reason that you ever give in to sin is because you wanted to at that particular moment. And, and let me tell you about the, what, what that looks like. That, doing that is actually a form of idolatry because what you do at that moment when there's a premeditated sin is, is Jesus, picture Jesus on the throne of your life and you're like, okay, Jesus, on this one, I'm going to nudge you off and I'm going to sit on the throne of my life for a moment because I, I want to do it my way on this particular thing. And then you become the God of your own life at that moment, and that's idolatry. So all sin is idolatry. Did you ever think of that? All sin is idolatry because you're nudging Jesus off of the throne and saying, I'm going to sit here myself and do it my way regardless of what you say. I'm going to do it my way. That's what sin is. It's violation, it's transgression of the law of God. God said do one thing and you did something completely different. Just like when your children transgress your laws at home, you told them to do one thing, you've got a line and they cross right over it and then they look at you like, what are you going to do about that? Right? So that's transgression. All right, now, by the way, since I use the word transgression, that's kind of a... a a Bible word that means stepping over the line. You knew where the line was. The, the, God said, don't do this. And you step over it and you outwardly commit this outward sin knowingly, knowing that you stepped over the line and you violated what God wanted you or didn't, didn't want you to do. Now, there's another word that is often coupled with transgression called iniquity. I just want to give you the dif difference between the two. Iniquity is inward sin that nobody else sees but God, you and God. It's your thought processes, your attitudes, it's your behavior, pride, things of that nature. That's iniquity, inner sin. Outer sin is transgression. You commit it outwardly. It's something that is committed with the body. Okay, so let's continue on here. Verse 20, and if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Okay, what do we make of that? Well, it's this. The very essence of who you are now, ladies and gentlemen, as a Christian, as a believer, the very essence of who you are now in Christ is that of holiness. That's your new identity. And sin is simply a trespasser. It's like if you get... Let's see if you get a splinter in your skin. It's causing you discomfort and pain. That splinter is not you. It's in your flesh. Okay? Sin is in your flesh. It's in you. It's a trespasser. It's a splinter in the body of holiness, if you want to say it that way. But the very essence of who you now are as a Christian is holiness. And sin is a trespasser that we need to deal with and kick it out. Praise the Lord. Now, how do we kick it out, though? Because as I told you last week, and look at the screen, uh, there's a lot of people that would say, well, why don't I feel free from sin then? And I gave you this visual last week of this, this ram rearing up, just to kind of give you the visual of sin, sometimes feel, feels very energetic, very in control in, in the members of your body, in your attitudes, or what have you. And before Christ, sin was literally unopposed. Before Christ, sin was unopposed. It had free reign in your life. It controlled you. You were a slave to it, the Bible says. But now, you have a new nature that opposes it. 
That's why the Bible says, tells us that, um, that they war against one another. Remember, we, we looked at that last week. Let's look at that again. From Galatians 5, verse 17, it says, For the flesh desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another, in order that you should not do those things you might wish. Now, once again, you can take that two ways. Sin sometimes makes us do what we don't wish, but the opposite is also true. That new nature in us also compels us to do something different than what the sin nature would compel us to do. Praise God. So now we have this new nature that opposes the old, and the determining factor on who wins is the one that you feed the most. The one that you feed the most is going to dominate. Starve the old nature, feed the new one, and the new one's going to win. But you, if you continue to feed that old nature, watching trash TV, trashy music, going to trashy places, what have you, you're feeding the old nature, it's going to dominate you. And you're going to, you're going to find it nearly impossible to walk in holiness, and you're probably going to, if you keep doing that, you're, you're probably going to fall away altogether. Okay? So you, you have to feed the new nature and starve the old. That's how you do this. So as we continue with our uh, Matthew chapter 7, let's read these next uh, two or three verses and let's make sense of this. So this is the principle I have discovered, Paul writes, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law of my mind and holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. All right. Now, this is kind of a good news, bad news story. And, and, and let me explain it this way. See, your desire as a follower of Christ is to please God perfectly all the time. Am I in the right company today? Am I talking to people that would agree with that? Your desire as a follower of Christ is to please God perfectly all the time, but the realization of the presence of sinful desires within you vexes you, doesn't it? Come on, we're on, we're, look, we're all in the same boat, okay? So don't play holier than thou right now. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Andy. Yes, you do. We're all in the same boat. The, the realization of the presence of sinful desires within you vexes you, or at least it should vex you. <laughs> See, what you're doing, what's happening in your life, is that you're learning to love what God loves, which is purity. And you're learning to hate what God hates, which is sin. And that realization of the presence of sin in your life, that if that vexes you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because God's working in your life when, when that happens. So don't ever let the devil tell you that you're uniquely twisted or you're not even a Christian. No, the very fact that there's a battle going on within you is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in you. Praise God. Praise God. All right, so again, write that down, what I just said. You are learning to hate what God hates and love what he loves when you're going through that process. So the frustration of this inner battle does three things then. And again, this is all good news. The frustration of this inner battle does three things. Number one, it reminds us that we are hopelessly broken apart from Christ. All of us are. Apart from Christ, we are hopelessly broken. We, see, we're incapable 
of saving ourselves and living righteously. We're incapable of saving ourselves and we're incapable of living righteously without Jesus. See, it's through Jesus alone that we find our victory. See, let me say it to you this way. We needed a Savior to be saved, but that's not where it stopped. We also need a Savior to know how to live like he wants us to. Now that we're saved, we still need a Savior now to live like he wants us to. That's the continued action of grace. Grace doesn't just, it's not just a one-time initial salvation experience. Grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age, according to uh, first, uh, actually, that's Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. Let me give you another uh, point here about uh, what this frustration regarding this inner battle does for us. The second one is that it causes us to seek God for strength. To seek God for strength. See, when you're struggling against sin, it should drive us to our knees. And always seeking God in this battle against our sinful desires and sinful natures. And that's why, by the way, when you came to Christ, if you're anything like me... Um, you may have noticed that there's certain sinful tendencies that just kind of melted off of you without even trying. But there's other sinful tendencies that you had to work through, through blood, sweat, tears, and many failures. You fell flat on your face probably dozens of times in certain respects, but yet you had to pull yourself back up and go for it again. Am I right? Yeah, praise God. Um, I'm not the only one here that's experienced that, right? I mean, have there been some of you that, I mean, when you came to Christ, you had like these certain sinful tendencies that you're just like, wow, I didn't even have to try to get past that one. That one just like melted off of me. Did that happen with a lot of you? Yeah. But then there was these other ones that you're like, wow, I, these other ones just melted off and I'm having to work through these other ones. God's going to allow some of those to melt off of you without trying, but other ones he's going to allow you to work through through blood, sweat, and tears because it forces you to rely on him. Hallelujah. Thirdly, it develops our character. And your biblical reference there is James 1, verses 2 through 4, which says to rejoice... (laughs) When we encounter various trials, wow, rejoice when you encounter various trials, temptations, frustrations. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, why does it say to let endurance or perseverance finish its work? Because so many people when they're going through the trial, when they're going through the temptation, especially if it's prolonged, will bail out on it and not let perseverance or endurance finish the work that it's trying to do in you. Because nobody wants to go through anything hard. Nobody wants to exert any energy in fighting against their sinful tendencies and their their sinful natures. And so they bail out on the process if it's not as easy as maybe they pictured. Hang in there. Be, don't be weary in well-doing, the Bible says. For in a little while you will reap if you faint not. Hallelujah. 
So once again, you know, all these things are good things. It's part of the process. It reminds us these frustrations of battling with our inner, inner sins and temptations. Reminds us that we're hopelessly broken apart from Christ. It causes us to seek God for strength, and it develops our character and our trust in God. Now, I also want to talk to you about this for the next few minutes, that, that Jesus has already won the victory in our behalf. So that's, the, you know, that's great news. See, Romans 7, verses 24 and 25, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation on this one. Um, this was the tail end of that reading in Romans that we did, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you out of the New Living Translation because it's a little bit more clear, I think, for some of you, maybe anyway. And it says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. So, ladies and gentlemen, Ultimately, it's Jesus who sets us free from the grip of sin. See, we realize fairly soon into the process after we start serving Christ that there's nothing good that lives in us. There's nothing good that lives in us. And we like to pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves for the progress that we do make, but then you fall flat on your face in an area especially if it's an area that you've failed in multiple times, and you're like, oh, that's right, there's nothing good that lives in me. Any victory that you achieve is because of Jesus' work in you. Praise God. So again, it's ultimately, it is Jesus who sets us free from the grip of sin, and we realize, once again, that there's nothing good that lives in us. I want to read to you, out of Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible. Now, if any of you have never read of the, out of the Amplified Bible, it's so called because they, the translators insert little amplifications or elaborations uh, within the text. And uh, the way that I've put this on the screen is I put in green what's been added to the text in parentheses. Now, this is not adding to Scripture. They, they put it in parentheses so that you know that this has been added. This is not part of the text itself. That's just elaborating on the text or amplifying the text so it's more understandable. Because as you've heard me talk about before, you cannot take the expansive Greek language or Hebrew language that is so expansive and try to squeeze it down in this very simplistic language that we know as English. And that's why something like the Amplified Bible really helps us in that way. So let's read this together. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is, separate you from profane and vulgar things. Make you pure and whole and undamaged. Consecrated to him. Set apart for his purpose. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete. Be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful and absolutely trustworthy is he who is calling you to himself for your salvation. And he will do it. He will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding you, watching over you, and protecting you as his own. See, the Bible tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, you need to continue to... Seek the Lord's help in these problematic areas that we all have. And it's a process. You're probably not going to master these things tomorrow. 
in some cases. But let me give you some encouragement about something. And because people get so discouraged sometimes when they fall flat on their face in the same area. Maybe it's an addiction of some sort. And you're trying to come out of that addiction. Or whatever your, your, your area of most, you know, you're most prone to sin in. Well, you may, you know, pick yourself up after a failure and you walk only two steps and you fail again. You fall flat on your face again. You're like, oh, okay. So you pick yourself back up, you dust yourself off, and this time you walk four steps and you blow it again. You fall flat on your face. You're like, oh my goodness, I blew it again. And then you pick yourself up and you, you, you walk five steps this time and you, and, and you fall again. And you, you tend to be so discouraged by that but let me tell you something. How many steps did you just walk? You walked forward how many steps in that process? I just counted 12 steps. You counted 12 steps that you've made progress. If you keep going through that process in a year, you're going to look back. You may have made a lot of mistakes, but you look back and you're like, wow, I made a lot of progress in this last year. So don't be discouraged if you, if you fail several times. Praise God, you're making progress. Don't give up. You're taking ground. Don't give up. Praise God. All right, so listen. I want to add this to the thought here before we move on and come down home stretch here. Once again, I want to reemphasize, it's ultimately Jesus who triumphs over sin with his death and resurrection. And, and it's he that helps us along the way as we engage in the battle. But you've got to engage in the battle. Okay, and that's where we're going to go with the, the remainder of the teaching. Um, so again, I'm going to go backwards now um, and, and show you an area from Hebrews chapter 12 that we looked at in our master text reading. Throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, once again, I said to deal drastically with those sins that you're most prone to commit. Um, and again, remember the joy that's set before you when you do this. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to continue what we talked about last week by giving you some, very briefly here, I don't think this will take too long, uh, some practical ways to walk in holiness. And I'm going to start out by giving you two that I gave you last week, and then I'm going to give you two more new ones today. So the first one is understand that holiness is not a suggestion, it's a command. This is not negotiable. This is not negotiable because... It says, as obedient children then, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy, God says. So that's the first thing. Understand this is not, you know, smorgasbord Christianity. Okay? He, he, this is a command. The second one is, that I gave you last week, feed on God's word. I gave you two scriptures. I'll give them to you again. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I was looking through my office the other day, and I found this stack of things that I used to carry around with me in my, my planner, my work planner. And... Um, I changed planners because I wore it out, and I, I, I guess I set these aside, and, and, and th this was from years ago. And this is stuff that I, ca I carried around in my, my business planner for years, verses, Bible verses on mastering sin, verses that are more general in nature and ones that dealt with my particular area of weaknesses. 
page after page after page here of verses I just carried around with me all the time to be prepared for the battle. And then I wrote, wrote out this one thing. This is because I have various areas of sin and temptation that I've battled over the course of my life. And so I have verses here on, on um, anger and patience. Verses that help me to remember not to be short-fused, not to be impatient. Anger and all these, this is just like one page just dedicated to uh, anger and patience right there. Then I have uh, the uh, thoughts, just thoughts that I wrote down, getting radical with sin. This is like almost like a journal entry thing that I carry around with, getting radical with sin, my battle plan against sin. Uh, Another whole section, verses on mastering sin in general. Um, And then I have this one thing I found. Uh, Where is it? Um, Verses and confessions of courage. Okay, so there's there's another one. The the purity battle plan. I have a whole thing here. My purity battle plan. Okay, if you all have anybody struggled with sexual immorality or purity, something like that is, is something that you might need to think about adding into your life. Okay, just to keep you, you know, I mean, all men, I mean, I don't care who you are, all men have struggled in that area, and we need to have a battle plan. Otherwise, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have something that, um, that, that you've set in motion in the beginning, Satan's going to trip you up eventually because you're unaware. You're unaware of his devices. So you need to take the word of God and use it as your weapon of war, okay, to prepare you for what's coming Okay, I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you, it's coming. Satan's going to try to tempt you. It's coming. He's going to try to just blow up your marriage. He loves to blow up family. Oh, that's one of his favorite things to do is blow up families. Blow it up through various sexual immorality, uh, pornography. um, Blow it up through just fighting over dumb stuff. I've, I've heard couples fight over the dumbest stuff sometimes. Get getting knocked down, drag out fights over squeezing the tube of toothpaste from the middle or the... I'm serious. I've heard... It's like, for Pete's sake, buy separate tubes of toothpaste. I mean, Holy Spirit, help us, right? Um, uh, he's going to try to blow up your relationships at work through anger, resentment, bitterness. He's going to try to blow up the progress of your life through, through unforgiveness, anger, outbursts of anger. The Bible tells us to control our mouths because an outburst of anger sometimes with... Depending on the situation, with the person can ruin everything. So he wants you to just like blow up on somebody. Okay? So all these areas, I mean, I've struggled with all these things. So folks, listen, I want you to know, because the devil will have you know that, that you know, you're, like I said, you're uniquely twisted, you're uniquely broken, you're uniquely sinful, you're probably not even saved. No, we're all in this thing together. Your pastor's in the fight with you. I, I fought this fight. I fought this fight for 30 years. It's now it's gotten easier as I've gone. You know, and when I was a younger man, especially, and that's why I had these things, was I found some of these temptations like, wow, holy smokes. Um, I, I need to do something. And so that's why, as a younger man, I had this stuff in my, my planner all the time so I could be equipped for the battle. And it's gotten easier. It's like lifting weights. You know, you lift, you know, 30 pounds you know, for a few weeks, and then you graduate to 35 and 40 and 45 and 50, and before long, you're, you're throwing around some pretty heavy weight. Same thing uh, from a spiritual perspective. When you start exercising yourself along the, uh, these lines, you find the battle does get easier, but it's never over. You're still in the battle. 
okay? You can't ever lay down your armament, okay? Don't ever lay down your armament. Don't ever get so comfortable that you've grown because that's right when the devil's there to trip you up and, and, and get you back into stuff that you'd never thought. You, you, you could be done with a sin for 15 years. And if you're not careful and diligent, he'll suck you right back into the things that you denounced 15 years ago. And then you look around and you're like, how did I get into this mess again? Because you're not diligent, that's why. You're not in the word enough. You're not watchful for the devil's tactics. That's why that happens. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple other principles for practical ways to walk in holiness. Gouge out the eye and cut off the hand. Now, I'm not advocating self-mutilation. But from a spiritual perspective, I am. Because Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. That's what he says. That's what he said. So in other words, ladies and gentlemen... Don't give the enemy access. Deny access. Shut the door in the devil's face. I like John Bevere's book called Enemy Access Denied. Slam the, devil, slam the devil's door uh, with one simple decision. And that's the, the t- decision that you're going to deny him access and you're not going to give him even an inch in these areas. Okay? So let me give you some examples. Um, are, are you okay so far? Can I go a little longer here? Are you, are you all right? Is this good? Okay, so if, for example, I use the example at the outset of the teaching, uh, a man that was an alcoholic and then renounced it and then got drawn back in and had a terrible episode with binge drinking one weekend that pretty much cost him everything. Um, Okay, so if you've struggled with alcohol, even if you haven't struggled with it for a long time, it's a very, very bad idea to be in an environment where there's a lot of alcohol around. That's just common sense. I mean, come on, use some wisdom. If you have a weakness in that area, don't be in the areas or with people that are going to tempt you in that way. Okay? Um, If you have a problem with what you look at on the Internet, maybe you ought not have a computer. Or if you do, at least put some protective software on it so that if you have a weak moment and you are tempted to go someplace you ought not be going, it it causes you to, you know, think about it. I mean, that uh, a blocking software, if you don't know about this, blocking softwares, you put them on there, and uh, if you even try to go to an inappropriate website, it blocks access to it. Okay, so if you've had a problem on the Internet, use some of that software, and it'll, it'll help you. Okay, um, if you're trying to take off some weight and get in shape, you probably ought not go to buffets, maybe. <laughs> really? Right? I mean, if you have a problem with gluttony, maybe not going to buffets is probably a, a good plan for you. Uh, there's, there's certain people, even, that will trigger sinful passions. So maybe I should identify the people in your life that trigger those sinful passions and avoid those particular people. Not because you're trying to be mean or elitist or high-minded or snooty toward them, but for your own protection. You probably ought to avoid people that uh, trigger sinful passions. 
And on that note, that's the next and last principle that I'm going to give you today, and that's guard the company that you keep is a really, really practical way to walk in holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What's a yoke? You, you, have you seen those oxen that pull big loads together? They're, they're yoked together, so they work together. That's what that's referring to. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is another name for Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, again, I'm not saying don't ever have any associations with non-Christian people, because if that was going to be the case, you just have to leave this world. And you couldn't have a job, and you couldn't go to school. Okay? So, and, and it's important, I think, to, have, to be friendly and have some decent friendships with ungodly people so you can have an impact on them, but don't be making your closest associations and spending most of your time with people that are ungodly. They will drag you down to their level most of the time rather than the other way around if most of your associations are with the ungodly. Don't do that. Okay? Don't make your closest friends ungodly people. Peripheral friends, fine. Okay? But not your closest companions because they're more liable to pull you down to their level than the other way around. Okay, so I want to read that again. I'm going to give you another, another uh, little bit of commentary on that, and then we're going to end. We're going to be done. So do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Oil and water. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? It goes on, verse 16. What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I love verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And my favorite is verse 18. I've highlighted it because I like it so much. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What is that? That's a, that's a term of endearment. You're my sons and daughters. If you'll do this, if you'll come out from among them and be separate, I will be a father to you. And you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. I love that. I love that. All right, let me leave you with one last bit of encouragement here and a little bit of inspiration for your personal fight in this battle against sin and your temptations. And that's a verse that I've quoted a lot. I'm going to quote it again, and I'm going to show you an image of the, the Helix Nebula. Now, you know what a nebula is? A nebula is, is, a, is a, a, a structure in deep space. It's usually made up of space debris and dust and gases, but they form these really unusual uh, patterns in space. I'm going to show you the picture of the Helix Nebula. Looks just like an eyeball, doesn't it? So this is otherwise called the Eye of God, is what the Helix Nebula is otherwise called. Now, the Eye of God, or the Helix Nebula, is three light years from one end to the other. Now, if you don't know what a light year is, let me just put that in a little bit more... Uh, 
uh, familiar terms for you. Um, in other words, from one end of the helix nebula to the other is six trillion miles. So I think it's very appropriately called the eye of God. Well, that's not, I th just thought that was an interesting side note, but um, I, I wanted to put that image on there because this verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, talks about the eyes of God. And let's end with this right here. For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. That means God's eyes are like a radar, scanning. Where can I find someone whose heart is fully devoted to me so I can show myself strong to them? That's what that's saying. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.